0: and visit Bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.
1: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator.
2: You're listening to the Vox
1: Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike
2: Heck. Yes, the iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links. We're doing a live roundtable edition of the program some friendly banter to discuss all the big news going on in the world and mixed martial arts thank you for having us on we're hoping for the big championship battle to go down next week between jed mishu and phoenix carnivale but lining up the schedules has proven to be very difficult but we will get it done at some point but i figured we can banter keep it somewhat friendly and have some fun on this thursday afternoon speaking of jed mishu he is here right now, the reigning, undisputed BTL champion. Although you don't have your first title defense, Jed, you are here to uh, to talk some MMA. How are you, my friend?
3: I am not. We talked about this uh, whatever week it was at this point. I am not the reigning, I am not the undisputed Phoenix Carnavale Again, unlike Al Sterling, when I say something, I mean it. And I am not the champion until I beat Phoenix. So... You can give me that paper title. I'm going to put it down, and I'm never picking it up. You're not going to find any images of me online with that belt because I'm not the real until I beat the real. At some point, that's going to happen. In the interim, happy to be here and chat with you guys. Should have should be fun.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I I did all this work to put this tournament together, and it, it, it means nothing. It means nothing, Jed. Is that what you're trying to tell me?
3: No, we just haven't had the finale of the tournament yet. I beat some bozo named Alexander Lee who I wake up and just destroy. I don't have to do anything. We half asleep and just murder that guy. It doesn't count. The title comes when Phoenix goes down. And that's what's going to happen as soon as we do get locked in the BTL case together. But for now, I am I'm an interim champion at best.
2: Well, hopefully next week we can, uh, we can settle that score once and for all. Also joining us this week is a man coming off of a big victory this past Saturday in Las Vegas. He got a late notice opponent change, got the job done against Kevin Kroom at UFC Vegas 46. So let us say hello to
4: Mr. Brian Boom Kelleher. How are
2: you, sir? Look at that. Eye. Boom,
4: baby. What's going on? Um, I don't know who Phoenix is, but I'll tell you what. I'll take an illegal knee and a, and a uh, championship belt and some pay-per-view points. <laughs> On this bad boy.
2: (laughs) Ah, Brian, congratulations on the win. And uh, I I am curious, though, and you may have shared this information elsewhere, but that damn Michael Bisbing just took that microphone right away from you, and you were about to say something very compelling, it looked like. What were you going to say, Brian? Tell the folks if you would be so kind.
4: Unbelievable. I was going to pop his damn eyeball out, to be honest with you, but... uh... (laughs) I I just wanted to get on the mic and say, uh, hey, Vegas, can I get a boom? Because I did that in Florida once when there was fans and and the the arena erupted. So I was excited to do that. It wasn't too important. But hey, uh, Bisping, he definitely played me on that.
2: Did you uh, go to the bathroom before we started the show? (laughs)
4: <laughs> everything's clean i took a nice shower i got ready uh, <laughs> proper for the show yeah that's another story in itself i'm surprised i'm surprised bisping didn't ask me about that but that was something i had to share with the fans just because it was my truth it was my reality and uh, i had to tell it i thought it was hilarious
2: all right well i, I, I guess we appreciate your <laughs> candor and in your openness
4: and we your in you your truth, honesty bro. <laughs> some, yeah, no. Before the fight, man, they give you—you're wearing these tight-ass shorts, and you got the cup. Everything's like you know. So you you, you, you know—you got some gas coming in. Your nerves are, are kicking, and I'm thinking, oh my god, I'm the second fight. You know, this 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 fight's about to end. I'm trying to fart, and like it's you—you you know when it's not a fart, it's a little bit something else. So, yeah. I'm thinking I can't push, like I can't do this. I—I'm I, trying to let it out slow, just ease it out, you know. And it's not working. So, you know, I say, you know what, I got to do this because I don't have time to go to the bathroom. So I gotta let this out. So I go to let it out. A little something, you know. I feel warmth and a little bit of like dampness there. And I'm in the middle of warming up with my teammates. So I gotta tell them. I'm like, dude, I think I sharted, man. I gotta, I gotta hit the bathroom. So, uh, yeah, that was my story. Went to the bathroom. There was a little little mark there. It wasn't too much. I wiped it up, cleaned it up. And uh, I think Kevin Crew might have pink eye, but hey.
2: <laughs> Who says MMA fighting doesn't give you the news you need, ladies and gentlemen? Who says that?
4: The answer is no one. Fighting dirty. <laughs> Dirtiest fighter there is, man. Uh, the Ric
2: Flair of the, of the UFC. Wow. Um, all right. Well, let's let's start with UFC Vegas 46. And uh, there was no sharding involved in this fight, at least uh, to our knowledge. And the way that this card ended was Calvin Cater put on one hell of a performance against Giga Chikadze. He was a pretty sizable underdog. Most people were counting him out of this fight following that loss to Max Holloway a year or so ago. But he goes out there, as Jed Mishu likes to say, put the wood to Giga Chikadze for 25 minutes. So Jed, we will begin with you. Did you learn more about Calvin Cater or Giga Chikadze on Saturday night?
3: I mean, I guess I learned more about Giga Chikadze just because he he could take a beating. Like, we, I did not – I mean, I just assume that most people can't take that sort of an ass-whooping because it's it's a big one. And so at any point, you could quit, you could find a way out, or your body could just turn off. And, I mean, Giga, Giga lost uh, – I think every judge had him lose every round. I gave him one of the rounds, but he lost cleanly, but he was by no means not still trying. Like he wasn't holding on to survive. He was at points having to survive. But I mean he was back he was out there throwing back. Uh, you know, giving as good as he get got for portions, but just not for the balance of the fight. So I mean, we learned we learned certainly some about Calvin Cater, his ability to respond from taking his own hellacious ass beating a year ago and kind of do the things he needed to come back reset and, and get back in there and, and then put on that performance but I mean I think we knew or at least I feel like I had a good concept that Calvin Cater had that sort of game in in him uh sorry I was getting a phone call <laughs> um but I didn't know that Chikadze had that level of toughness in him so I was really impressed by both guys
2: what do you think, Brian? Did, did you take more away from Calvin Cater's win or Giga Chikadze's loss?
4: Uh, you know, to me, I would say uh, Calvin Cater's win. Uh, I think a lot of people had questions about, you know, what kind of Calvin Cater we were going to get after that Max Holloway fight. You know, he took so much damage in that fight. Uh, a lot of a lot of shots you know accumulated, and people worry about that you know and um you know he really showed um his his ability to adapt and uh make make changes not only just from that fight but also during this fight you know I thought uh, Giga looked really sharp early with the kicks he landed a couple really hard and then you saw cater make the adjustments and he closed the distance he, he made it a boxing fight he got he, he really used a lot of forward pressure to make sure that you know uh, Giga was on his back foot he could no longer really utilize that kick with the same kind of power if he's backing up constantly so I was just really impressed during the fight with uh, Calvin cater's ability to adjust and uh, and make it his this fight
2: we've seen some outstanding bounce back performances throughout this long run of the ufc we've seen guys and gals come back from some tough losses some long layoffs brian but what calvin cater did after the holloway loss and taking a record number of strikes and being counted out by almost everybody in this fight was this one of like the the best bounce backs that you can recall
4: yeah, I mean, to me, I mean, as of recent, for sure, because, you know, the, the beating that he took was like, it was, it was pretty, uh, you know, one-sided and, and people, you could tell in the media that it was a concern, you know, for a lot of people, but you could, you could also see that, uh, Calvin Cater's got a great team behind him. That, that's smart, you know, his coach is, uh, definitely underrated, I think. And, you know, they took the time off and and a lot of people had concerns about that too. Like, Oh, too much time off. We don't know. How's that going to affect him? But for him, he had a good quote that I really liked. He said like, I never, got worse by you know taking more time to get you know to train to, to put into the gym to focus on this next fight so uh I thought that was great and um yeah I mean as far as like bounce back wins he honestly like with that win he pretty much erases the Holloway loss like I think people are just gonna remember that last fight with Giga and think man who's kid are gonna fight next and where are they gonna put him next he he, he seems to belong at the top
2: in terms of what this win did for Cater, Jed, and, and you were very respectful on the roundtable last week on the podcast. Now we're talking about the sort of ceiling that you had for Calvin Cater. And Giga talked a lot heading into the fight about title shots, Volkanovski in general. While well, Cater did what Cater and the New England cartel guys always do they focus on the task at hand, they don't talk trash. And in this case, it paid off huge because. All the talking Giga did had Cater coming out smelling like absolute roses. I know this all depends on the result of Volkanovsky's zombie, how long Holloway will be sidelined for with this injury, and and who knows. Cater could end up as the backup for the title fight in April. Has your stance changed on Cater being in the title picture and how close he is to that shot now as uh, opposed to last week?
3: No, Uh, and that kind of goes back to the I, I think I learned more about Giga. Um, I, I think less of Giga than I did coming into the fight. Not as not, I don't mean that in a disrespectful way though. There's no way I guess to take the way I just said that other than disrespectful, I thought Giga had the, the, the basic level of talent to maybe be a future title contender. Um, I kind of don't think that anymore. I think cater just sort of showed the deficiencies and Giga while young in MMA is, probably too old to really make some big changes in the time that would be necessary for him to put a concerted title run together for cater. It's it's really the same thing that I said last week. Like I think Calvin Cater is one of those guys who we are destined to not respect enough for what he has accomplished and what he's able to accomplish. I think that there's a really strong argument that guys like him or Michael Bisping or Martin Campman, like those guys who absolutely maximize their tools Like to me, that's one of the hardest things you can do in life. And certainly in this sport is getting every inch out of the tools God gave you. And I think Calvin Cater is certainly doing that, but I, I think fundamentally God didn't give him enough tools to, to really grab that brass ring. Um, And so I feel sort of the same. He is going to be a top five guy and he can beat a lot of really good fighters. I think he's going to struggle to consistently put together wins over top eight opposition uh, that would get him to a title fight. So if he gets one, it would be a matter of timing less than, yeah, he's undeniable. Because, I mean, I think to some extent Brian's right. Like people are going to start to forget about the Max fight because this was such a dominant showing from him. But at the same time, he also still ate a ton of shots in this fight. I know we aren't talking about it, but he ate more shots in this fight than he ate in any other fight of his career other than the Holloway fight, and that's going to leave a mark and be rough moving forward. But also just like we know what the top is at featherweight. It's it's Max and Volk, and, and he clearly is not getting to Max. Like that's, that is not a gap that I think he can overcome based on how dominant that fight was. So I don't I just I just don't see it for him. Um you know, if he does great, it would be a good win for Volkanovsky or Holloway again cuz like I said he's a top 8 top 5 guy, but I just don't think he I would not bet on him getting a title shot before his career is done.
2: What do you think Brian because we don't know how long Holloway's going to be out for. He could be out for two months he could be out for a year we have no idea we don't know the extent of the injury so let's just say it's the latter let's say holloway doesn't fight at all this year calvin cater could be next in line for the title like he could get the winner of volkanovsky and zombie easy with his resume like if you compare the two resumes between him and zombie they're pretty damn close so if you had to guess if i gave you 20 bucks and said hey brian take this 20 you got to put it on whether or not cater gets a title shot in 2022 where are you
4: putting it um, uh, you know, I think, like you said, with the f- different factors that play into this, you know, with injuries and stuff like that, there is a lot of luck that comes into play. And I think, you know, Jed's right. I think if, if, uh, if Calvin Cater has to go through max again to get to get to that point, I don't think he has great odds to become champion. But, uh, you know, that's also another thing. It, you know, you never know how this plays out because how long is Max out? You know, can, can Calvin Cater slip in at some point? Um, you know, Zombie versus Volkanovski, what happens there? You know, imagine, you know, Zombie wins. That mixes up everything. You know, we don't know what's going to happen from there. And then if Max comes back and ends up champion, that's like a rematch that you can make down the line and a big story you could tell about, you know, Cater's made changes, and but he was dominated completely against this guy the first time out. So I think there's a lot of variables that come into play. And honestly, from that last fight, I did see like a, a different fighter in Calvin Cater, you know, with a lot of uh, new tools that he added to his game. Those those elbows were amazing. He landed a, a couple of real sharp spinning elbows. And, and uh, I think that, um, you know, he mixed in a couple of takedowns and they seemed a little bit more of a desperate thing. But hey, he has them there now, you know, so, you know, Mixing up the game is very important. You can't just be one dimensional, go in and try to box someone and that's it. So I think if he can keep improving and adding to his game and somehow slip in, maybe something happens. You never know, man. I mean, look, Zombie just got an opportunity, right? So so things can happen and he could slip in if he keeps winning.
2: It's uh, Featherweight's interesting right now. Obviously, Volkanovski Holloway's the fight everybody wants to see, but again, we don't know how long Holloway's going to be out for. Cater versus Yair would be a lot of fun. Cater versus Ortega would be very interesting. Giga takes a step back. What What, what do you mean? You don't like that, Jed? You can put,
3: no, you can put Cater in against a broom. It's going to be fun. Dude is a banger of an action fighter. Like, I got nothing but respect for Calvin Cater. I don't think he wins against Yair, and I think he probably doesn't win against a lot of the other... Like, th- that's the other thing about featherweight, too. We talked about it last week. Like, it has so much emerging talent that that is about to start coming on. And Cater, who's kind of had a shot at least against 1B one, one B at the top of the thing, like, I, he's not going to be next up. He's going to either have to fight Yair, which is a fight that I don't think is great for him, or he's going to have to fight, like, Josh Emmett or something. And I just don't feel great about it. But you could put him in against any human being on the planet. It's going to be fun as hell to watch.
2: Agreed. Great performance. I spoke with Calvin on We Got Next. You can find that on the podcast network. I manned up. I manned up. I told him that I picked against him and he, uh, he took it in stride and he handled it like a pro. So, so good for him.
0: The Bellator champion series is back in action Friday, May 17th live from Paris, France, reigning bantamweight champ patchy mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist, Magomed Magomedov.
1: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
2: Let's talk about another individual who has found himself in this Volkanovsky featherweight title discussion over the last couple of weeks. That is one Henry Cejudo, who has found himself in the middle of a lot of storylines these days. But when the news of Max Holloway's injury came about. Suhudo raises his hand and does the Suhudo thing. Takes shots at Volkanovski. But then over this last week, he sort of turned his attention, not on Volkanovski, but to Dana White and the UFC after getting passed over for the Korean Zombie, who oddly enough is a member of the Fight Ready squad and will be training with Henry Cejudo to prepare for this title fight. But Sohudo has had things to say about the UFC and Dana White, Dana White in turn, as he typically does, has had things to say about Henry Cejudo and being retired and it being silly for him to just jump the queue. So, Brian, outside looking in, this was a, a story heading into your fight, obviously. What have you made of this whole situation, this, this Dana White versus Henry Cejudo battle?
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think Cejudo is actually – he's kind of a funny guy like with his his shit talk, you know, and it's interesting and he does say a lot of the right things but at the same time like – You know, Dana White's not going to bite for someone who is not like real superstar power. You know, uh, the whole comparison to GSP, it makes sense as far as like a a rational thing. Like, oh, you let him come back and challenge, you know, Bisping for for the title at a different weight class. And look, he just up and left. And, you know, that's the thing is that was a mistake looking back for the UFC. They kind of don't want to do that again. They don't want you coming in winning a title and then just bouncing and, and leaving it, you know, empty handed and them having, having to figure out the division. So I think that's a big part of it. And then on top of it, you know, Cejudo wants to get paid. He wants to get paid like what, you know, he believes he deserves, which yes, he, you know, Olympic champion, he has all the accolades and, you know, it would make rational sense for him to get a chance for what he's done in the sport. But uh, for you know, his, his star power it's it's not matching up with the UFC and I think that's what the big difference is.
2: Jed, your thoughts on this because cejudo wants to go out there and make history and become a three division champion. However, the man upped and retired. He kind of left the UFC high and dry after he stopped Dominic Cruz. A lot of eyeballs were on that whole card and that whole situation because this is the first sporting event back. It was UFC 249. We're we're trying to get sports moving forward. What else are we going to watch? Let's order this pay-per-view. And Henry Cejudo goes out there and bolts Domina Cruz and gets the stoppage win, and then he just ups and retires, him wanting more money and all. So Dana, like Brian said, he's a little weary because when you get burnt once, you might get burnt again. At the same time, Cejudo's won titles in two different divisions, and although, like also like Brian said, he's not as big of a pay-per-view draw as he probably thinks he is. Outside of Holloway, this was probably the biggest featherweight title fight the UFC could make here with Cejudo looking to make some history in the storylines attached to it. What have you made of how both Cejudo and Dana White have handled this whole thing?
3: Man, I have a lot of thoughts. Most of them are mean, um, so I'm just going <laughs> to say them. Uh, i vary. very – you know me, Mike. I am not a man who sides with Dana White on damn near anything because he's just wrong about damn near everything. Uh, he's totally correct in this situation or well, almost totally correct. He's correct in his – and the things he said are dumb and objectively untrue. Um, so when Dana came out and was like, no, you know, like we – nobody gets to do this. You don't get to come out of retirement and then jump up weight class. Like that's objectively false. They did it for GSP. Um, so the way he said it was very stupid because there's a much easier way to say it uh, because the what he actually means is nobody gives a shit. Because nobody does. Um, I think Henry Cejudo is an incredible fighter. Uh, He is a two-division champion and a former Olympic gold medalist. Uh, I will be super frank and say I believe being a former gold medalist is more impressive than being a two-division champion in the UFC. Um, Like, that is an incredible accomplishment, especially he did it at 18 years old. Um, I have nothing to speak against his fighting prowess. I do think that like Brian said, he says a lot of the right things, but he doesn't quite. And I'm trying to figure out how it works because it's like he knows what he's supposed to say and he says it, but just just doesn't get it quite right at the end, so it botches everything. Because if he wanted to fight this fight, if he really did want to fight a featherweight title fight, he could get one. He can't get one immediately. And that's kind of where the disconnect is here because he is not a star. Nobody genuinely cares. Uh you know this because I I to me it is pretty obvious that his retirement was a contract ploy that didn't go his way and then when the UFC called his bluff he just kind of went with it because it was pretty obvious immediately after he retired he was like yeah you know I'm retired but I don't make enough money and if Dana knows the number to bring me back and so that really reads strongly to me as Yeah, I just want more money because we've seen Conor McGregor do that before. We've seen Nate Diaz threaten this sort of thing. Like it's John Jones threatened to walk away until he got more money. Uh, I think he overplayed. He thought he was more important because he thought that having two belts meant he mattered. But it doesn't because the UFC does not really care about their champions, only slightly above the rest of their fighters. Uh, And now he's just sort of down this road. If he really wanted to get this fight, he could very easily do it by just saying, hey, Dana, I want to come back. Uh, I don't care about the Bantamweight belt. Uh, I I would like to try and make history be the first three-division champion. You're not going to give me a title fight? Okay. What's Brian Ortega doing? Let me fight Brian Ortega. He comes back and beats Brian Ortega. He gets a title fight. That's just it. But – I don't think he wants to do that. Not because he's afraid of Brian Ortega. I think he only wants this fight if it's ju- if it's just going to be really convenient for him. If all he has to do is say, is tweet out, hey, I want to do this. And they're like, let's do it. Sure. And we're going to give you a big bag of money on top of it. But that's not how it was ever going to work. And he knows that that's not how it's ever going to work. So I mostly feel like this is posturing from him. Because also, he's not in the USADA pool. He never could have fought in March. He has to come back for six months. Technically, the UFC can uh, give him an exemption, but they're not going to. So I feel like this has mostly just been posturing from him. Uh, And unless every unless the stars align, he's not really going to he's not going to get this chance. And so he's just not going to fight again, which is fine. It's just be a lot cooler if he wasn't lame about it on Twitter.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, Jed, let's just say let's say the UFC was like, all right, all right, dude. You want this? We're going to give it to you. Here's your exemption. Let's see what like people want. All right? Let's let's survey the people. Are you like would you be personally more interested in the zombie fight or Sahuudo going for the third title? Like if we're up to you. If Dana I called you on the phone and said which fight would you rather pick? I know you're a zombie fan. I get oh. that and you want to see it in that way, but but your thoughts overall like outside of being uh wanting to see zombie get a shot.
3: I I mean Outside of wanting to see get see Zombie get a shot for sure, I'd rather see, see Cejudo. I think Cejudo is the more objectively interesting fight, just because it would present such a rare opportunity—the first person to win three belts in the UFC. Even if it, I would say that that's a little sus about that, but still an incredible accomplishment. Uh, Neither, frankly, we already talked about this. I don't really think Zombie super deserves a featherweight title shot e- here either. So neither guy would really deserve the title fight. I think Zombie is going to do way better numbers uh, than Cejudo would. But from kind of all of those, you know, journalistic storylines, it's certainly much more interesting for Cejudo to try and make history.
2: What do you think, Brian? Are you more Volkanovsky Cejudo or more Volkanovsky Zombie here without, with Holloway not in the picture at the moment?
4: I'd be more into the Cejudo thing. I just think there there's a little bit more interest for me, you know, as a fighter, just to see history like that and, and see if he could do it, you know? I mean, he's a smaller guy. I mean, he, he's fought at flyweight and and then bantamweight. And, and he's, you know, he he has all the tools, though, to beat anybody that's in front of him, really, with, with his wrestling background and all that. So, you know, much improved striking as the years went on. Like, I'd be interested stylistically to see that fight and just to see, like, can Henry Cejudo really come in and do that? It's just the whole retirement factor uh doesn't help you in in negotiations and i think that that's where he's at right now he's trying to flex on the ufc and 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 whenever you do that it just never ends up good for you
2: yeah the timing the timing of the retirement
3: yeah the the time the timing of the retirement
4: was terrible yeah
3: it was terrible unless you really make a
4: difference you know
3: the timing was so bad because you immediately Dana in the post fight was like "Yeah." will fight for the belt. That's fine. <laughs> Remember, he took, it took him six months to admit Habib, who obviously was legitimately retiring, was going to retire because his dad died. I was like, "No, we're going to get him back here." Cotto was like, "Yeah, I'm out." He's like, "That's fine. See ya. Don't let the door hit you on the way." Done.
2: Yeah, tune in. Tune in to ABC. We'll give you an update on on Habib's status. Like it was just so silly that whole that whole thing. So we'll round it off with this: Is there a world, Jed, Machu, where? Henry Cejudo, Dana White in the UFC can find some sort of common ground. Maybe we see Triple C fight again inside the octagon. Do you think he fights again, no. simply put?
3: No. Um, unless, unless he gets bills, and, you know, he's about to have a kid. Bills do pile up when you have a kid, but he, they're not going to give him a featherweight title shot, like straight up. If he wants to come back for a Bantamweight <laughs> one, but I, don't, I think that presents super high risk and low reward. So unless he changes his mind about the money he wants, they're not giving him one because the UFC sure isn't doing that.
2: What do you think, Boom? Do you think we see Suhudo fight again? Maybe I mean, maybe this year, maybe not, but do you see him, do you think there's a world we see him actually fight in the UFC again ever?
4: I kind of lean towards no also. You know, I think like I don't think they're going to jump for the amount of money that he wants unless they really desperately needed him. And it just doesn't seem like that would ever play out. Like maybe if, you know, Zombie, Cater, uh, you know, all those top guys behind Volkanovski get hurt all at the same time and they want to make some kind of super fight to fill in the gap. Like that would be the only way that I think they would like jump for like a higher number for him. But otherwise I just don't see him even wanting to come back to Bantamweight unless it was for that number as well. You know, there's, he's already made the history there. Like he has no reason to do that. He just wants to make more history and, and get that third title. So it's, I feel like it's 45 or bust. And I just, I don't see the UFC biting.
2: Yeah. So overshot and in, in such a big way, he he was like the guy in uh, a long came Polly playing basketball, just Jumanji and throwing the ball over the hoop. He was so, he missed every shot he took here. Like I'll a for effort, Absolutely A for effort, but the UFC clearly does not appreciate being made a fool of, especially on a card like that. And what's awful, what hurts Cejudo as well is that the two divisions he represented have both clearly moved on without him. The flyweight division too. A lot of people thought Cejudo saved the flyweight division. Yeah, there's some semblance of truth to that. But Figueiredo going out there and finishing people, that helped the division. Brandon Moreno's incredible moment in June, that helped the division. Both divisions are doing just fine without Henry Cejudo. So he doesn't have a lot of, uh, doesn't have a lot of weight to, to this whole let's thing. Let's be so clear. Let's see what happens.
3: Let's be clear, Mike. They're not doing just fine. They are in better shape than when Henry sudo <laughs> was the champion of them. Like entirely legitimately. The Brandon Moreno, <laughs> Davidson Figueredo, uh, Figueredo trilogy has been awesome. And either way, you're getting a, in my personal opinion, a much more interesting champion, and certainly somebody who is at least committed to actually being the champion of that division, and at 135, like, Piotr Jan and Aljo, that's, there's a lot of heat on that, and that division is just, shit, Brian knows, that division's fire. So, like, way better shape than when he was there, trying to fight Dominic Cruz and old people because he was doing legacy stuff and not really concerned with being the actual top guy in the division.
2: To more pressing matters, gentlemen, because we have the UFC's first pay-per-view of the new year. This Saturday, UFC 270, the media day went down yesterday, press conference goes down 8 p.m. Eastern today, which you can watch on MMAfighting.com. We got the two title fights, main event, tons of storylines here, gentlemen, Francis Ngannou versus Cyril Gann for the heavyweight title. We have the, for a short, short time anyway, former teammates, both guys finding success, at the MMA factory out of Paris, France. They were and never Fernand teammates. Lopez. They were
3: never friends. That's right.
2: But they trained <laughs> together like six we six total times. Six it's total inspired. times. But Ngannou Inganu moves to Vegas, becomes heavyweight champ. Gone looking to become the undisputed champ in his own right. So we have the coach, the teammate thing, kind of. We have sparring footage stuff. We got Ngannou's contract situation, his issues with the UFC, just a lot to digest here, especially from the Ngannou side, so Jed, I'll start with you. Ngannou clearly has a lot on his mind heading into this fight. The bettors have seemed to notice this because the betting line is flipped. is now the favorite. That number continues to rise, but Ngannou is still the most terrifying fighter probably in UFC history, and he looked like he was a pit bull ready to jump off his leash at media day yesterday. Do you personally, as a fight fan and as a as a respected journalist in this field, do you have concerns that the storylines heading into this fight could have Ngannou a bit distracted heading into Saturday? Uh,
3: no, I don't think he's distracted. Um, I just I just don't think he's going to win. <laughs> I, gotta, I, I don't think distraction has anything to do with it. Um, his The way he has carried himself and acted basically since the fight was announced has really smelled strongly to me like he knows he's in for an ass whooping and he's in the same way ronda rousey used to do that like posturing like all the time and she did it all the way up into holly home fight and then was embarrassed in that fight i'm getting a lot of really similar vibes here um they've trained together i think he i think he just knows like you can't count nganu out he's the most powerful puncher we've probably ever seen in this sport if he lands he can put anyone out he has you know more than a puncher's chance but i think i think this is a terrible fight for him and i think he knows it and i think that is i don't know people don't usually say the we weren't friends i never liked you anyway <laughs> unless like You were friends and you're hurt or you like are in a you're in a vulnerable position. I just feel like he knows he's about to get his ass beat and he's saying things because that's what you're supposed to say. But it's all a false confidence and he's going to get his ass beat.
2: Brian, what do you think? Do you think there's merit to these concerns for Ngannou? Do you believe it may be a bit overblown? And and let me ask you as a fighter as well. Let's just say you were getting ready to fight. A former teammate and sparring footage leaked and then at the media day the guy you're about to fight is like well there's some things that weren't shown in the sparring footage including me knocking out knocking this dude out with a head kick is it like what do you think of that whole thing and and is there merit to all these other concerns for Ngano?
4: Well, I'll, you know, I'll say this. I think Jed's probably right, but I'll bring a different perspective. Um, I think that, you know, with all of the stuff that is going on with Engano and the, the leaked footage and all that stuff, there's a lot of, you know, personal feelings, I think, from Engano inside him that, you know, he it's giving him a chip on his shoulder. It could at least. And it could light a fire under you that, you know, you're kind of embarrassed. Like, there's some footage out there. It looks like you're getting touched up by this guy. And maybe you were and maybe you have this this thought, you know, I'm about to go in there, and, and this this guy is another level. I, I've been in the gym with him, and this is how he feels. And I'm aware of that. It's hard to get past him and 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 land my shots or whatnot. But that could also really motivate you and really uh, inspire you to go in and get the job done because, you know, you you opened up to this guy's coach who was your former coach and you gave him, you know, uh, uh, information about yourself and, and, and just, you know, built a, a relationship with somebody. And then they're kind of, you know, on the flip side and they, they went and, you know, went to somebody else. And, and now uh, you're facing that guy that, you know, you knew in the past and had trained with. So there is a lot to this story and I think that – It's possible that it could have lit a fire under Ngannou to try to kind of, you know, say, listen, you think one thing and you, uh, you know, you might have got one up on me in training, but this is different. And it is because... Man, I've had the shittiest of sparring sessions before some of my best performances. And that right there just goes to show that if you get if you connect yourself to how training went always, then you can bring some negative vibes into a fight. Uh, you have to be able to disconnect from, you know, how training went and and what you know, how'd you feel last week and in, in the peak of your camp? How did it go? You know, sometimes you have the worst training camp and you end up having the best performance in the fight because you got it up here and everything's together and in order uh, mentally and, and psychologically. And hopefully that's the case for Francis because I do have concerns that a lot of this is getting to him and that he might be overthinking things and not just with the, the coach and the leak footage, but with the UFC dispute and him wanting more money and this and that. It, it could all be adding up and be in the back of his head. So I do have those concerns as well.
2: Jed, if this fight goes the way that you seem to, at least the way I perceive that you think it's going to go, that Ghan's going to win and become the champion. And we all know about Nganu's contract. And if he loses, he can test free agency. If he wins, he's still got that champion's clause and we will probably have to stick with the UFC for the end of the year. If this fight ends the way you think it's going to end, do you feel like this is the last time we see Nganu in the UFC? Or do you think cooler heads will prevail, win or lose?
3: Maybe not the last time. Um, I do just want to say uh, very briefly I hate that this storyline of the teammates is like so to the front because I think it's a pretty fake one. Um, both men have said, Yeah, we didn't, we weren't really like that close. We've spent some time training, but you shouldn't take too much from that. But it has become this thing because of the coaches. When I think this fight just rules on the merits. Like these are, I think, the two best heavyweights in the world. So this fight is awesome. <laughs> like, and I don't need this. I don't need this sort of puffed-up extracurricular stuff to make me stoked about Saturday. Like, I'm just ready for this anyway. But back to your original question, Mike. Uh, I just wanted to say that. Um, I think I think he could come back. I don't think he re-signs with, with the UFC uh, after he loses Saturday. I think he – nor should he. Um, frankly, it is honestly probably a better business decision for him to lose to to Ghan on Saturday because that will effectively terminate his UFC contract. And if he doesn't go out there and like look awful and get knocked out immediately, even if he's coming off a loss, I think there's still a lot of interest in doing some of those bigger boxing fights. You know, there shouldn't be. Nobody should give a shit to watch him box Tyson Fury because Tyson Fury is going to murder him. But there is people care enough about it he has a mystique to him coming off a loss maybe maybe dulls that a little bit but if he could find a way to just invite seorgan to take him down and then submit him that's like that's ideal because then he gets out of his UFC contract and then he can go make a shitload of money boxing uh however many of those he can line up and then when that's over he can always come back to the ufc they'll re-sign him at this point but i think it's pretty obvious that they're not going to cater to his wishes of having an option to go box if he wins or do any of those things they're just going to ride out his champion's clause if he wins and keep him hooked for as long as they are able because that's what this organization has done for the last 20 years so yeah i think that's kind of where i sit on it it would be better for him to lose uh in some ways and when he does lose i think he's going to pursue some of those other opportunities but he may well find his way back to the ufc eventually
2: so uh, to sort of play devil's advocate, because Jed does make a lot of good points, and I do completely agree that this teammate thing being the promotional storyline is is silly um, because the real storyline is the contract, and the UFC is not going to promote that. Dana mentioned it like a couple of times, but they're not going like, to put in the promotional video Nganu going on the MMA Hour and talking about his contract situation. It's just not going to happen. But the media, obviously, and I'll agree with Ariel on this because I know we talked about this yesterday, we're selling the fight better than the UFC is, the media is, because we're talking about the contract situation because that is a very interesting thing here. So Jed is saying Brian that a loss for Ngano opens the doors for more money and bigger opportunities, and there's some truth to that. A boxing fight with Tyson Fury, as silly as it might sound, would do bonkers box office. However, I think Francis's biggest issue, and if you listen to the Helwani interview back in Jan- or back earlier last year. When he talks about just wanting respect from the UFC, it's—I mean—money is part of it, but he wants to feel like the UFC is behind him, that they're promoting him, that they're pushing him. Would a win actually be better for him? Because what could be looming next? John Jones, and if if Francis Gano beats Cyril Gane. Everyone is going to want that fight. Everyone's wanted that fight for 18 months, but everybody will want it more than ever. And John Jones has already said he's talking about it. So would it almost be better from a promotional stance if he goes out there and wins because the UFC is going to probably have to do whatever they can to make this fight happen? Because I don't think anyone's going to be hankering to see Steep a 3 here. Are they?
4: Yeah, see, so that's a great point. I didn't I you know, I was thinking more on the lines of what Jeb was saying before, like about how you know, if he lost, you know, he has opened the door now to, you know, go into boxing and make some some really big paydays. And uh, you know, he mentions the boxing and stuff. So it's definitely something that's in the back of his head, which could also be a mental distraction, you know, going into this fight. Because imagine thinking to yourself, Oh, wait, you know, if I lose you know, when they release me, I, I'm free and I can go pursue things for the money that I think I deserve. So that's that's kind of a crazy thought. But if you go into the John Jones route, I mean, man, if he wins the fight, he puts himself in a position or at least the best position to negotiate for what he does want and to get the company behind him to the point where he feels respected because man if he's going up against John Jones imagine like they go to africa or something crazy like they're going to get behind this guy they have to at that point and really build that fight and uh you know that that's going to be Probably the one of the biggest fights in UFC history if that happens like that. So he puts himself in a really good position if he wins and he can play his cards right and, and, and kind of respectfully meet with Dana and tell him how he feels and say, listen, I'm about to fight John Jones. I want this. Let's do this. I think the UFC might actually budge because that's the only fight that and, and, and that's the fight that they would have to make at that point.
2: What do you think about that, Jed? Because I mean John Jones fighting Cyril Gaṇ is interesting as well, but John Jones fighting Francis Ngannou, I mean, clearly, if, if you go out and ask any MMA fan what fight we have to see in 2022, list five, pretty much all of them are going to say Francis Ngannou versus John Jones. So how much does that factor in? And on the flip side, I feel like Cyril Ghosn playing with house money here. Like, yeah, it will suck if you lose to Francis Ngannou after all the talk and all the storylines, but he's only 31. He's still very new to the sport, and it's not like this is going to be his only chance to fight for the title. So... Your thoughts on on that and, and just the Jones factor and if Francis can can use that to kind of parlay that into the respect that he wants.
3: I don't think the Jones factor matters at all. Um, I'm extremely confident in when I say that uh, for one very simple reason. The UFC has essentially told us that it does not matter because, yeah, people have only wanted that fight. People have only wanted that fight for like two years. At the moment that Francis Ganu knocked out Stipe Miocic, that was the fight. Nobody gave two turds about Cyril Gan fighting Francis Ngannou. The UFC did it because th- this whole contract thing, because both Ngannou and Jones were like, we want to do this. We want you to pay us more because that's a reasonable request. And they were like, nope, not going to do it. And because we hold all the cards here, we're going to make an interim belt. And now you have to fight Cyril Gon instead. Like they didn't do that to help. Francis Ngannou, they did that specifically to hurt him. They, yes, the UFC should, they should have already done it, but if he wins, they should immediately make the Jones fight. I have no trust or belief or faith that they will do so because John Jones and Francis Ngannou both have some level of principle and they they want more money because they deserve more money and that fight will generate an enormous amount of money. Doing it under their current contracts with the current stipulations at whatever their pay rate is is—I I won't say it's unfair because they did sign onto it, but it's sort of sort of ridiculous for the UFC to kind of hold that line as ferociously as they as they are. And I think that that's just the same thing. Like if the UFC wanted to make John Jones and Ganu, they would already done it. They're interested in, in the same way that Henry Cejudo is interested in a featherweight title fight, if it comes to him without issue or effort, he will take it. That is how the UFC feels about that fight. Yes, it'd be huge. Yes, they'd love it to happen. But not if if they're going to have to pay one penny more than they are already currently contractually able to get from that fight. I just don't see it happening. So I mean, and and to that other point, like I don't if he beats gone, I don't think the UFC is going to get behind him. The UFC historically gets behind fighters who play ball. Like who who is the like who's Dana White's most favorite fighter of all time? It's Ronda Rousey because Ronda Rousey made a shitload of money and never complained about anything ever. She just said, "Yeah, let's do it." And that's the people that he gets behind. He like, that is how the UFC structures. So they're not going to support Francis Ngannou as long as he wants things for himself. That's just not how it works.
4: Imagine that he, imagine Ngannou won and then the UFC made like another interim title fight with like Stipe and someone else. I think Stipe that's legitimately
3: Jones. very possible. <laughs> yeah. That is an incredibly possible outcome because he's going to win and be like, hey, I want to renegotiate, and they're like, "Champions clause, dude. We're not going to renegotiate. We're just going to re-up you because you still have the belt." Well, I don't. I'm not going to fight then. Okay, we'll make a new champion for you. They're just. Yeah. That's just how this works. When if they were better at this, if he won, holy, can you imagine how much money could be generated if they if he beats Gan and then they do Jones and he beats Jones? How big would a Tyson Fury and Ganu fight at that point be? And, and Ngannou has said specifically, he's been like, I don't want to do this. I want the UFC to make accommodations for me to box. And I want them to be involved because I think that'll make it a bigger production. It'll be better promotion. He wants to wrap them in and they don't care because they are so one track. And it's infuriating that they aren't good at promoting because that's ostensibly what they're supposed to do. And Francis Ngannou is the easiest guy to promote. All you have to do is India. show videos of him knocking dudes
2: out. He doesn't even have to say uh, anything. That's all you need to do is show videos of him knocking out Alistair him over and over and over again, and people will, will pay money to watch him fight.
3: Yeah, like they have such a clear path to doing a really cool thing, making awesome fights, which Dana White has said over and over again. That's what they do. They make the fights fans want to see. And and maybe making an enormous crossover boxing match that, again, is stupid. Tyson Fury will wax him. But people would turn in in droves to watch that fight. It would be unbelievable numbers of people interested in that bout. And we're probably not going to get it because we're probably going to get Stipe versus John Jones as an interim title (laughs) fight or some dumb shit like that. So (laughs) it's so frustrating.
2: (laughs) So if, if, you, if you're the UFC and, and the heavy hitters, Hunter Campbell and so forth and so on, you're hoping Cyril Ghan wins because he'll play ball and fight John Jones more for legacy than the paycheck.
3: And he's going to win. He's going to beat the hell out of Francis Ngannou. Just sucks. Things could be so much cooler. Dare to dream.
0: <laughs> Touché. and visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Dumbay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.
2: Well, let's talk about the co-main event. Let's talk about the flyweight title. Brandon Moreno, Davis and Figueredo. trilogy fight, third straight time we're seeing this title fight. First fight was a classic, ends in a draw Second fight, one-way traffic with Moreno, gets the finish. Figgy goes and works with Henry Cejudo at Fight Ready, and it's been a whole Moreno is a traitor. I got to get this one for the Gipper mentality from the Figgy Small side of things. So, Brian, just just your thoughts outside of storylines on the fight between Moreno and Figueredo, seeing this for the third time, the UFC going right back to this well.
4: Yeah, I mean, no, the fight's amazing. I mean, the first fight was great, really close. Uh, they had the draw. And then, you know, the second fight, Moreno came out and, and, and really put a stamp on it and, and and put him away and submitted him and looked really sharp doing so. And I think, um, you know, Figueredo has kind of shown a lot of like excuses about things previously and why he lost. And, you know, he's trying everything he can. I mean, to go train over there with Cejudo, I think it's a great idea. Um, you know, Cejudo does seem to be a good coach. Uh, as well as a fighter, but it seems like he's smart, you know, with game plans, and that whole team is over there. So I think that's a smart move, uh, you know, because Figueredo was just known to be kind of an emotional fighter, and he goes in there and just throws a lot of power into every shot. And if you don't put a guy away, and you think you're gonna put a guy away, that could really drain you. And um, I think that kind of happened in, in, in the in the first fight a little bit, but he stayed there. And then the second fight, Moreno kind of had reads on him, and and I, and I just think Moreno kind of has his number right now. You know, I think uh, he now knows that he could he can grapple with him, he could submit him, and you know the striking is very even. You know, Moreno throws a little bit more volume, Figueroa has a little bit more power, but I think Figueroa really is going to have to come into this fight a different style. You know, really be patient trying to fight a little bit less aggressive and maybe a little bit more smart. And I think if, you know, Cejudo could talk that into him over this camp and kind of show him how to mix things up a little bit better, keep Moreno guessing, it could, it could help him out. But I just, I lean towards Moreno. I think he, he has his number right now. He's figured him out. And uh, I think he has all the confidence in the world right now.
2: Jed, I feel like with the whole heavyweight title story and everything, all eyes are, are on that and the and the different things. There's an argument to be made that maybe Figgy might be a little distracted with this whole Cejudo storyline, needing to get this one back, could be his last fight at 125. I mean, if you, if you follow Figueredo on Instagram, the dude looks absolutely shredded, best shape of his career, but it doesn't matter. You're 34 years old, father time catches up to everybody, and ask Cody Garbrandt, like he looked healthy, but that cut to 25 does something to you. It really does. Cause he's a big dude for this division always has been. It's definitely a struggle having said that, and just the matchup itself, do you see this fight going any differently than the one from this past June?
3: No, I agree with a lot of what Brian said. Um, The only wrinkle that interests me is I am interested in, in Figueredo at, you know, at fight ready with, with Cejudo um, because he has the tools to be more competitive than the rematch. Certainly but to me this is a really clear fight um i i mean i'm, I'm always willing to say i could be wrong cuz what do i know dude um but to me this is there i mean you watch you watch the sport long enough you see trends and this really looks to be that that same trend of here figgy smalls was on top he's getting older he's falling off and we have just seen brandon moreno blossom before our eyes to become the best flyweight in the world and you know, you said father time comes for everybody, and I, look, it's, it's really hard, especially in the lighter weight classes, uh, to kind of stave that off, and especially for a guy like Figueredo, who is a really fun and enjoyable fighter to watch, but he has exploitable weaknesses, namely his grappling's never been like a super strength of his, but his his game is entirely built around that power, Um, and just his raw physicality in a lot of ways over the other guys in that division. And as that starts to fall off, it's, it's really hard. It's Figueredo did not rise to the top by being some unbelievable technician. And so he can stave off father time longer than most because he just has all these skills, like, like a guy like Jose Aldo, who is one of the most technically brilliant fighters we've ever seen. He's well past his prime and yet made damn well get a title fight this year at a division lower than he spent most of his career because he's just so talented. He can find ways to work around it. I don't think Figgy Smalls can really do that as well. Um, He's 34. He's dropping off. And I think, honestly, the biggest thing to me, I think the, the defining feature between fight one and fight two is Moreno spent 25 minutes with him and was like, oh, that dude can punch me in the face and it won't knock me out. I can't afford to exchange with him on the feet, not be, you know, I don't need to be reckless, but I don't have to be afraid of of this guy who who knocks everybody out. I can do that. I can scrap with him and I can fight my fight the whole way. And so he came in, and that's why we saw him basically beat Figgy Pillar to post in the rematch. And I think it's the same thing. He knows that Figueroa, who is overly reliant on his power in a lot of ways, you know, he always has the chance to hurt him, but it's it's not a given. He can eat those shots and stand up to it. And he can put a pace on Figueroa, who cuts a lot of weight, and make, make life hard for him. I, I, think, I think the Cejudo thing is going to mean Figueroa lasts longer than the third round. I think he'll make it into the championship rounds, but I still think Moreno is just a better guy at this point.
2: Yeah, Tabar is going to be really interesting when he steps on the scale, see how he looks. If he's in there first, and he's fresh, and he's got all that energy – Yeah, that's a big victory for him. It's going to be interesting. But if he comes in looking like he did in the second fight, just looking like hot garbage and just looking depleted, that's going to be very telling. Um, We're running out of time. Jed, I know you wanted to talk about this. This is the first fight card under the price increase for pay-per-views for the Ultimate Fighting Championship. $74.99. And the two title fights are really good, Jed. The rest, some interesting fights. But, I mean, and we got to factor in, Adesanya God, Whitaker two, Adesanya Whitaker two, and UFC two seventy one going down in less than a month. So now you're trying to get these fans to spend money on both of these cards. What do you think of the card as as a whole? And is this a card, Jed, that you're telling people that they should stay home, watch from start to finish? And by the way, pay seventy five bucks for the last five fights.
3: No, this is, I think, uh, Casey said it before we filmed. This is a classic boxing card. There are, this card's garbage, man. Like no disrespect to the fighters on it. Some of you are very interesting and compelling fighters and some of these fights, especially in the undercard are interesting for one reason or another, but this is not there outside of the top two things. There is not really anybody on this card that somebody who is not deeply ingrained in the sport of MMA will have even heard of. Um, I mean there is a guy named Nurmagomedov, but it's not the one that the people will think if you just ask a random – if you take a poll of people at a B-dubs, they're not going to be like, I know who Saeed Nurmagomedov is. Like is he related to Habib? (laughs) I know that one. So it's just – this is a two-fight card. Um, If you – I would actually – I still would recommend you pay the 75 because I think – I think the main event is that compelling and that important of a fight. It's the two, it is for the baddest man on the planet and the two best heavyweights in the world going at it. Um, and I, I think Brandon Moreno and Davidson Figueredo, I mean, their first fight was one of the fights of the year. Their second fight was fun. Even if it was more one-way traffic, those are enough to make me say you should buy it. Uh, the $75 price point is stupid. Um, I don't, I don't know the validity of Dana White saying the UFC doesn't have any sway over that determining factor because Dana said it. I'm going to assume it's not true, but um, I think like, it could be true. He said true things before, just he doesn't make a habit out of it. Um, so either way, it's ridiculous. Um, somebody I forget who said whenever – somebody on Twitter was like, yeah, the price of inflation is – not near the the cost expense here. It's risen 20 bucks in three years or something dumb. Like, I... This is the part of the sport that hurts me, is knowing that the UFC doesn't even pretend to care about its fans. Like, they're coming off of two of their most successful years of all time. They have said that repeatedly, Um, despite there being a global pandemic going on. And despite that, they have neither neither raised pay for fighters or given them an equitable share of, of the earnings that they should have. And, and those, the, those profits also haven't trickled down to the fans with decreased card costs. Like it's just, they're just going to milk us for everything and keep paying off, pay off that ticket, man. (laughs) WWE spent four bill to acquire it. They got to pay that down and it's, it's not coming out of their pockets. So it's coming out of ours.
2: Ryan, I know uh, you fight for the UFC, so we're not going to talk about the price increase, but just you're you're a fight fan too. You're a student of the game. So your thoughts on, the, on this card as a whole?
4: No, I mean, I think this card as a whole, like it doesn't have the most depth to it, but like he was saying, more of like a boxing style where it's like that big heavyweight fight at the top that has a lot of anticipation, but and maybe this is the ufc's way of saying like hey we're gonna we're gonna give you a shit pay-per-view so that the numbers don't skyrocket so you have zero negotiation power after this francis but uh (laughs) i don't know i there's some crazy tactics you never know but uh I, i i think you know the francis gone fight it's enough to get people watching and to to pay that number you know the 75 but uh it's tough. I mean, you'd have to be a really diehard fan to to have a, a lot of interest in the undercard and, and the different fights on the way up. You know, there's not like any really crazy storylines on, on any of those and, and a lot of hype behind any of those either. And It, it seems like more, more than less cards are like that these days just because, you know, they're just putting on good fights and you have to really just appreciate good fights because a lot of these guys who don't have star power or drawing power or anything like that, like, they still put on really exciting fights and, 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 you know, bring eyes to the sport. And I think, you know, fans appreciate that, but as far as money and numbers go, it doesn't really translate.
2: To be, to play devil's advocate, this card has been kind of ravaged. Let's be honest. Uh, Just taking a look at Jared Kane Derek Brunson was supposed to be on this card, obviously got moved to the February card, which makes all the sense in the world because there's a middleweight title fight on it. Uh, Viviane Araujo, Alexa Grasso was supposed to be on this card Bavzar Evloya versus Ilya Tepori was supposed to be on this card so COVID took away that fight but at least Tepori is still on the card fighting Charles o- Jourdain so the card was better uh, as like in the original status of said card but yeah it's not it's not the greatest uh, of all time But those I are some. some. nailed it
3: <laughs> I think Brian nailed it I, I didn't even really think about it I think they they shortchanged this card to be like, yeah, screw you, Francis. You you're not selling more than five hundred on your name alone. We're not giving you any boost. I think he nailed it. That's it. That's yeah. totally <laughs> it. Could be quite possible, man. Totally All right, Jed.
2: <laughs> Alright, Jed, what is it? What's what, what's the low key banger?
3: Dude, it's not even close. This is this is the most obvious. It's like I will say the fight I'm the most interested in on the undercard, honestly, outside of the main two fights is Ilya Teporia and Charles Jourdain. Um, it would have, had that been Mobsar uh that would have been like the fight I cared about the most. Like I think that, I think those are two future top ten guys. Um, incredible talent, and I, this is the fight I want. I think Charles Jourdain's still a really interesting uh, test for, for Teporia. I think he's going to win pretty handily, but Uh, I want to see him style on one more dude before I'm like – before I put him in the top 10 of my rankings, and I think that we can see that. But if I'm just going pound for pound violence, it's Rowney Barcelos, Victor Henry. Um, Casey says it all the time. Uh, I don't agree, but he's not far off. Bantamweight is one of the best divisions in the sport. Uh, Rowney Barcelos has had like four fight of the nights or whatever in his time um and victor i don't know has victor any fought in the ufc yet um i just remember him from rising where he was a banger like in rising he did some really weird stuff he has like an he had an inverted triangle win there um like he's he's just a fun scrapper barcelos is probably gonna run him he's probably gonna just rinse him but uh for however long it lasts it should be fun scrambly weird uh compelling stuff so that's easily my low-key banger of the weekend
2: Victor Henry is actually, according to Sapology, the number one ranked bantamweight in all of Japan. How about that? So, yeah, he's, he just nice. beat a UFC vet, put him away in his last fight before getting Ooh, the call, he, which is uh, he, long overdue.
3: Maybe Masanori Kanahara, who, you know, a little old, but still a dude that's worth worthy of respect. Like, he was, f- he was a fun guy in Ryzen. So, um, and Rami Rossellos is, like, the definition of a fun dude. <laughs> that guy is, he's never in a boring fight. <laughs>
2: That should be a fun one. That is my choice as well. Brian, what is yours? What is your low-key banger?
4: He mentioned it first. It, mine is uh the Jordan and Ilya Tapoya. Um, you know, the original matchup was probably better with the undefeated uh, you know, guy putting it putting the O on the line. But I, you know, I really like Jordan. After that last fight, he showed a lot of fire against Yule and just the way that he ended that fight, vicious with that push kick. I mean, he had a chip <laughs> on his shoulder. That was some crazy stuff. And he he had some intensity, man. And I think, you know, he could come in here and get an upset if he brings that same intensity. Because, uh, you know, Taporia's been a real rising star he has some nasty body shots he's, he's a finisher and um, you know this is an interesting stylistic fight you know i think jordan is probably you know doesn't have as much power as the yet, but he does throw a lot he's highly skilled he has really good kickboxing and he mixes up trips and takedowns well and and has a good jujitsu game so yeah i'm really uh really interested to see how that fight plays out but uh that's that's probably my low-key banger right there
2: that is a very interesting fight It'll be uh, and it's kind of a house money fight for Jordan too. So if he can keep it for on sure. the feet, it's going to be interesting. But if Tapore gets him on the ground, could be a could be a pretty rough night for Mister Jordan. So all right, we have we have talked about all the topics here, and th- th- there's no actual battle, there's no winner or anything like that. And normally we'd have the uh, the knockout round and things of that nature. But uh, I'm going to give each of you gentlemen. 30 45 seconds to just talk about whatever it is you want to talk about if you want to talk about mma you want to say anything just wax poetically about something we'll give you the full the final word if you will on this roundtable edition jed we begin with you you are the interim champ at least in your eyes what would you like to say mma or whatever
3: um i would like to speak directly to dana white um you and i don't see eye to eye on many things uh I would just like to ask you to just do the things you say you do because you make a big point of saying that the UFC is better than boxing because you make the fights fans want to see. You don't do that anymore. Um, you make some good fights. I'm not here to say you don't, but the fans have pretty pretty unanimously said, we'd like to see Nate Diaz and Dustin Poirier fight. And we'd like to see John Jones and Francis Ngannou fight. And instead you are not doing that almost undeniably because you are trying to affect your bottom line better. You are trying to get to positions you want. You'll make the Diaz-Poirier fight if Diaz will re-sign, but if he only got one fight left, you're going to make sure you get it to be the Connor fight so they can't do it outside of your organization and make all that money themselves. Dude, just make the fights and move on. You've seen it enough times. Other people have come and gone. We're still going to watch your product. You're still going to overcharge us 75 a pop for it just make us the fights we want to see now so we don't risk losing them forever
2: a standing ovation from the capacity crowd boom what would you like to say
4: you know, I'd like to speak directly to Dana White as well and just say, <laughs> you know, you've done everything right and you treat us fighters great and you give us the platform and you you might lie sometimes, but I think they're 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 good lies, you know, they're they're lies to make us feel better and 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 you really, you know, you've built the sport you've done great things for the sport and you know you you've shown nothing but respect to us fighters and and i really i love the bump in the pay per views like i want to pay more to watch the product cuz it's great like the product is amazing and uh, i think it's perfect matter of fact and 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 and, and nate diaz just you know letting him letting that anticipate and, and, and just kind of build and and not giving him fights when he wants fights. Like it's probably a good, good business move. I really like what you're doing and, you know, bald recognizes bald. So, you know, just thank you for everything.
3: Brian wins. I know we, I know we didn't have a competition, but Brian wins.
2: Yes. Uh, here's two things. Here's two things. I, that, that, that stood out in my mind from this entire episode. One, there's a very active dog in somebody's house barking away, and two, someone oh needs God, to change sorry. the battery. <laughs> someone needs to change the battery on their smoke detector because I keep hearing a beep.
4: That's so both me. I save- lose. Those are both first. my smoke husband- detectors <laughs> are disconnected. My house is on fire, guys.
2: <laughs> Safety first, then teamwork. Let's let's always remember Safety that. But <laughs> that's it. That is it, ladies and gentlemen. Boom! Thank you very much for jumping on waxing poetically about mma Jed, always a pleasure hopefully we get to set up this championship match for you next week against phoenix Carnivale. but we have a lot of fun stuff going on uh here at MMA fighting getting you ready for ufc 270 we got the press conference 8 p.m eastern don't miss that we also have the weigh-in show first weigh-in show of 2022 going down I think it's at 11 a.m. Maybe it's at noon. I'm not really sure. Just follow along. We'll let you know. Uh, We'll be live talking about that. We'll have a preview show. We'll have the ceremonial weigh-ins. We'll have the people's pre-fight show right before the main card's going to start. I'm not going to give you time yet because who knows how many fights are going to actually be on this card on Saturday. And then Jose Young's is in Anaheim. He'll have all the winner interviews after the bouts. We'll have the press conference post-fight show. And then AK and I will be live Sunday morning we're on to the next one good night everybody thanks for watching
0: this is Esther Lin bye
4: (laughs) take it easy guys thanks (laughs) you're listening to the Vox Media Podcast
3: Network
0: the Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday May 17th live from Paris France reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch